Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts' book, Sea Swept, Chapter 1. Camp called in markers, pulled strings, begged favors, and threw money in a dozen directions. Hooking transportation from Monaco to Maryland's eastern shore at 1 o'clock in the morning wasn't an easy matter. He drove the nice bulletin down the winding coastal highway to a small airship where a friend had agreed to fly him to Paris for the nominal fee of a thousand American dollars. Dollars. In Paris, he chartered a plane for half again the going rate and spent the hours over the Atlantic in a blur of fatigue and gnawing fear. He arrived at Washington Dulles Airport in Virginia at just after 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The rental car was waiting, so he began the drive to the Chesapeake Bay in the dark chill of pre-dawn. By the time he hit the bridge crossing the bay, the sun was up and bright, sparkling off the water, glittering off boats already out for the day's catch. Cam had spent a good part of his life sailing on the bay, on the rivers and inlets of this part of the world. The man he was racing to sea had shown him much more than port and starboard. Whatever he had, whatever he'd done, that he could take pride in, he owed to Raymond Quinn. He'd been 13 and racing toward hell when Ray and Stella Quinn had plucked him out of the system. His juvenile record was already a textbook study of the roots of the career criminal. Robbery, breaking and entering, underage drinking, truancy, salt, vandalism, malice, mischief. He'd done as he pleased and even then had often enjoyed long runs of luck where he hadn't been caught. But the luckiest moment of his life had been being caught. Thirteen years old, skinny as a rail, and still wearing the bruises from the last beating his father had administered. They'd been out of beer. What was a father to do? On that hot summer night, with the blood still dried on his face, Cam had promised himself he was doing. He was never going back to that run-down trailer, to that life, to the man that the system kept tossing him back to. He was going somewhere, anywhere, maybe California, maybe Mexico. His dreams had been big even in his vision, courtesy of a blackened eye, was blurry. He had fifty-six dollars and some loose change, the clothes on his back, and a piss-poor attitude. What he needed, he decided, was transportation. He copped a ride in the cargo car of a train heading out of Baltimore. He didn't know where it was going and didn't care as long as it, it was away. Huddled in the dark, his body weeping at every bump, he promised himself he'd kill or he'd die before he went back. When he crept up the train, he smelled water and fish, and he wished to God he thought of grab some food somewhere. His stomach was screaming empty. Dizzy and disoriented, he began to walk. There wasn't much there. Two-bit little town that had rolled up its streets for the night. Boats bumping us at sagging docks. If his mind had been clear, he might have considered breaking into one of the shops that lie in the waterfront, but it didn't occur to him until he had passed through town and found himself skirting the marsh. The marsh's shadows and sounds gave him the willies. The sun was beginning to break through the eastern sky, turn those muddy flats and that high wet grass gold. A huge white bird rose up, making Cameron's heart skip. He'd never seen a heron before, and he thought it looked like something out of a book. A made-up one. But the wings flashed, and the bird soared. For reasons he couldn't name, he followed it along the edge of the marsh until it disappeared into thick trees. He lost track of how far and what direction, but instant told him to keep a narrow keep to a narrow country road where he could easily tuck himself into the high grass or behind a tree if a black and white cruised by. He barely wanted to find shelter, somewhere he could curl up and sleep, sleep away the pangs of hunger and the greasy nausea. As the sun rose higher, the air grew thick with heat. His shirt stuck to his back. His, fin his feet began to weep. 
saw the car first, a glossy white Veta, all power and grace, sitting like a grand prize in the misty light of dawn. There was a pickup beside it, rusted, rugged, and ridiculously royal, beside the arrogant sophistication of the car. Cam crouched down behind a lushy bloom hydralia and studied it, lusted after it. The son of a bitch would get him to Mexico, all right, and anywhere else he wanted to go. Shit, the way a machine like that would move, he'd be halfway there before anybody knew it was gone. He shifted, blinked hard to clear his wavering vision, stared at the house. It almost, it always amazes him that people live so neatly. A tiny houses with painted shutters, flowers and trim bushes in the yard, rockers on the front porch, screens on the windows. The house seemed huge to him. A modern white palace with soft blue trim. They'd be rich, he decided, as resentment ground in his stomach along with hunger. They could afford fancy houses and fancy cars and fancy lives. And a part of him, part nurtured by a man who lived on hate in Budweiser, wanted to destroy, to beat all the bushes flat, to break all the shiny windows and gouge the pretty plant painted wood to splinters. He wanted to hurt them somehow for having everything while he had nothing. But as he rose, the bitter fury weavered, wavered into sick dizziness, clamped down on it, clenched his teeth, until then, too, ached, but his head cleared. Let the rich bastard sleep, he thought. He just relieved them of the hot car. Wasn't even locked, he noted, and snorted at their ignorance as he eased the car door open. One of the more useful skills his father passed on to him was how to hotwire a car quickly and quietly. Such a skill came in very handy when a man made the pe best part of his living selling stolen cars to chop shops. Came leaned in, shimmered under the wheel, and got to work. It takes balls to steal a man's car right out of his own driveway. Before Cam could react, even so much as swear, a hand hooked into the back of his jeans and hauled him up and out. He swung out, and his Bunched fists seemed to bounce off rock. He got his first look at the mighty Quinn. The man was huge, six, at least six five, and built like the offensive lineman of the Baltimore Colts. His face was weathered and wide, with a thick shock of blonde hair that glittered with silver surrounding it. His eyes were piercing blue and hotly annoyed. Then they narrowed. Didn't take much to hold the boy in place. He couldn't have weighed a hundred pounds, Quinn thought. He fished the kid out of the bay. His face was filthy and badly battered. One eye was nearly swollen shut, while the other, dark slant gray, held a bitterness no child should feel. There was blood dried on the mouth that managed to sneer, despite it. Pinner and anger steered in him, but he kept his grip firm. This rabbit, he knew, would won. Looks like you came out on the wrong end of a tussle, son. Get your fucking hands off me! I wasn't doing nothing! Ray merely lifted a brow. You were in my wife's new car at just past seven on a Saturday morning. I was just looking for some loose chains. What's the big fucking deal? Why don't you don't want to get in the habit of overusing the word fuck as an adjective? You'll miss the vast variety of its uses. The mildly tutored tone was well over Cam's head. Look, Jack, I was just hoping for a couple bucks and quarters. You wouldn't miss it. No, but Stella would have dearly missed this car if you finished hotwiring it. And my name is Jack. It's Ray. Now, the way I figure, if you got a couple of choices, let's outline number one. I'll haul your sorry butt into the house and call the cops. How do you feel about doing the next few years in a general facility for badasses? Whatever caller came in left in his face drained away. His empty stomach heaved, his palms suddenly covered in sweat. He couldn't stand a cage. 
I'm sure he would die in a cage. I said I wasn't stealing the goddamn car. It's a four-speed. How the hell am I supposed to drive a four-speed? I, I have a feeling we'd manage just fine. Ray puffed out his cheeks, considered, blew out out. Now, choice number two. Ray, what are you doing out there with that boy? Ray glanced toward the porch where a woman with wild red hair and a ratty blue robe stood with her hands on her hips. Just discussing some life choices. He was still in your car. Well, for heaven's sake. Somebody beat the crap out of him recently, I'd say. Well, Stella Quinn's sigh could be heard clearly across the dewy green lawn. Bring him in. I'll take a look at him. Hell of a way to start the morning. Hell of a way. No, you get inside there, idiot dog. Find one you are. Never want to bark when my car's being stolen. My wife, Stella. Ray smiled. Ray smiled, spreading loud. Glowed. She just gave you choice number two. Hungry. The voice was buzzing in Cam's head. The dog was barking in high, delightful yips from miles and miles away. Birds sang shrilly and much too close by. His skin went brutally hot, then brutally cold, and he went blind. Study there, son. I'll get you. He fell into the oily black and never heard Ray's quiet oath. When he woke, he was lying in a firm, on a firm mattress in a room where the breeze ruffled the sheer curtains and carried in the scent of flowers and water. Humiliation and panic rose up in him. Even as he tried to sit up, hands held him down. Just lie still a minute. He saw the long, thin face of the woman who leaned over him, poking, prodding. There were thousands of gold freckles over it, which for some reason he found fascinating. Her eyes were dark green and frowning. Her mouth was set in a thin, serious line. She scraped back her hair, and she smelled faintly of dusting powder. Cam realized abruptly that he'd been stripped down to his taggered jockeys. The humiliation of panic exploded. Get the hell away from me! His voice break came out in a crook of terror, infuriating him. Relax now, relax. I'm a doctor. Look at me. Stella leaned her face. Look at me now. Tell me your name. His heart thundered in his chest. John Smith, I imagine. She said jolly. Well, if you have the presence of mind to lie, you're not doing too badly. She shined, shined a light in his eyes. Grunted. I say you've got yourself a mild concussion. How many times have you passed out since you were beat up? That was the first. He felt himself collared under her unblinking stare and struggled not to scream. I think. I'm not sure. I have to go. Yes, you do. To the hospital. No! Derek gave him the strength to grab her arm before she could rise. If he ended up in the hospital where there would be questions. With questions came cops. With cops came the social workers. And somehow, before it was over, he'd end up back in that trailer. That stink of stall beer. And pissed with a man who found his greatest relief from pounding on a boy half his size. I'm not going to any hospital. I'm not. Just give me my clothes. I've got some money. I'll pay you for the trouble. I have to go. She's starting it. Tell me your name. You're a real one. Cam. Cameron. Cam. Who did this to you? I don't. Don't lie to me. She snapped. Then he couldn't. His fear was too huge. And his head was starting to throb so fiercely he could barely stop whimper. My father. Why? Because he likes to. Stella pressed her fingers against her eyes, then lowered her hands and looked out the window. She could see the water, blue as summer, the trees thick with leaves, and the sky, cloudless and lovely. And it's such a fine world, she thought. There were parents who beat their children because they liked to, because they could, because they were there. All right, we'll take this one step at a time. You've been dizzy, experiencing blurred vision. Cautious Cam nodded. Maybe some, but I haven't eaten in a while. Ray's down taking care of that better in the kitchen to me.
Your ribs are bruised, but they're not broken. That's the worst of it, she murmured, touching a gentle finger to the swelling. We can treat that here. We'll clean you up and doctor you and see how you do. I am a doctor, she told him again, and smiled as her hand, blissfully cool, smoothed his hair back. A pediatrician? That's a kid's doctor. You're still qualified, tough guy. If I don't like how you do, you're going for x-rays. She reached in her bag for anything. This is going to sting a little. He winced, sucking his breath, and she began to treat his face. Why are you doing this? She couldn't stop herself. With her free hand, she brushed back a messy shock of his dark hair. Because I like to. They kept him. It had been as simple as that, Cam thought now, or so it had seemed to him at the time. He hadn't realized until years later how much work, effort, and money they invested in first fostering, then adopting him. They'd given him their home, their name, and everything worthwhile in his life. They lost Stella nearly eight years ago to cancer that had snuck into her body and eaten away at it. Some of the light had gone out of that house on the outskirts of that little water town of St. Christopher's and out of Ray, out of Cam, and out of the other two and out of the two other lost boys they made their own. Cam had gone racing, anything, anywhere. Now he's racing home to the only man he ever considered his father. He'd been to this hospital countless times, when his mother had been on staff, and then when she had been in treatment for the thing that killed her. He walked in now, punchy and panicked, and asked for Raymond Quinn at the administration desk. He's in intensive care, family only. Almost done. Cameron turned away, headed for the elevator. He didn't have to be told what floor. He knew too well. He saw Philip the moment the doors opened onto ICU. How bad? Philip painted over one of the two cups of coffee he held. His face was pale with fatigue. His normally well-groomed tawny hair tussled by his hands. His long, somewhat angelic face was roughened by stubble, and his eyes, pale golden brown, shattered with exhaustion. I wasn't sure he could make it. His bag came. Christ, I've got to sit down a minute. He stepped into a small waiting area and dropped into a chair. The can of coke in the pocket of his tailored suit clunked. For a moment, he stared blindly at the morning show, running brightly on the TV screen. What happened? Came to him. Where is he? What did the doctors say? He was heading home from Baltimore. At least Ethan thinks he'd gone to Baltimore. For something, he had a telephone pole. Dead on. He pressed the hill of his hand, hill of his hand to his heart because it ate every time he pictured they say maybe he had a heart attack or a stroke and lost control, but they're not sure, sure yet. He was driving fast. Too fast. He had to close his eyes because his stomach kept trying to jump into Too fast, he repeated. It took them nearly an hour to cut him out of the wreck. Nearly an hour. The paramedic said he was conscious on and off. It was just a couple miles from here. He remembered the coke in his pocket, opened the can and drank. He kept trying to block the image out of his head to concentrate on the now and what happened. Next, they got a hold of Ethan pretty quick. Pumpkin. When he got here, Dad was in surgery. He's in a coma now. He looked and met his brother's eyes. They don't expect him to come out of it. That's bullshit. He's strong as an ox. They said. Philip closed his eyes again. His head felt empty, and he had to stretch for every thought. Massive trauma, brain damage, internal injuries. He's on life support. A surgeon, he... That's a registered owner donor. Fuck that. Camp's voice was low and furious. Do you think I want to consider it? Philip Rose now. Tall, rangy man in a wrinkled thousand dollar suit. They said it's a matter of hours most. The machines are keeping him breathing. God damn it, Cam. You know how Mom and Dad talked about this when she got sick. No extreme measures. They made living wills and we're ignoring his because... Because we can't stand not to. You want to pull the plug? Cam reached out, grabbed Philip by the lever. You want to pull the goddamn plug on him? Weary and sick at heart, Philip shook his head. 
I'd rather cut my hand off. I don't want to lose him any more than you do. You better save for yourself. He turned and led the way down the corridor, where the scent was hopelessness not quite masked by antiseptics. They moved through double doors, past the nurses' stations, past small glass-fronted rooms where machines beeped and hope hung stubbornly on. Ethan was sitting in a chair by the bed. When they walked in, his big callous tan was through the garden covering race. His tall, weary body was bent over, as if he'd been talking to the unconscious man in the bed beside him. He stood up slowly, with eyes bruised from lack of sleep, study came. So you decided to put in an appearance. Strike up the band. I got here as soon as I could. He didn't want to admit it, didn't want to believe it. The man, the old, terrifyingly frail man, lying in the narrow bed, was his father, Ray Quinn. His father. Ray Quinn was huge, strong, invincible, but the man with his father's face was shrunken, pale. Still was dead. Dad. He moved to the side of the bed, leaned down close. He's Cam. I'm here. He waited, somehow sure it would take only that for his father's eyes to open, to wink slightly. There was no movement, no sound except the monetary's beep of the machine. I want to talk to his daughter. Garcia. Ethan scrubbed his hand over his face, back into his sun-bleached hair. The brain-cutter mom used to call magic hands. The nurse will page him. Cam straightened. For the first time, he noticed the boy curled up asleep in a chair in the corner. Who's the kid? The latest of Ray Quinn's lost boys. Ethan managed a small smile. Normally, he would have softened his serious face, warmed the patent blue eyes. He told you about him. Said Dad took him in on about three months ago. He started to say more, but caught Philip's warning look. Right. We'll get into that later. Philip stood at the foot of the bed, rocking back and forth on his heels. So how was Monte Carlo? At Cam's blank stare, he shrugged his shoulders. It was a gesture. All three of them used in lieu of words. The nurse said that we should talk to him, to each other. And maybe he can. They don't know for sure. It was fine. Cam sat mirrored Ethan by reaching for Ray's hand through the bed guard. Because the hand was limp and lifeless, he held it gently and willed to squeeze his own. I want a bundle in the casino and had a very... Hot French model in my suite when your fax came through. He shifted, spoke directly to Ray. You should have seen her. She was incredible. Legs up to her ears. Gorgeous man-made breasts. Did she have a face? Ethan said dryly. One that went just fine with the body. I tell you, she was a killer. And when I said I had to leave, she got a little bitchy. He tapped his face with a scratch and scorched. She had to toss her out of the room into the hall before she tore me to ribbons. But I didn't remember to toss her dress out after. She was naked? Philip wanted to know. As a J. Philip Grant. Philip Grant then had his first laugh in nearly twenty hours. God, leave it to you. He laid his hand over Ray's foot, needing the connection. I love that story. In the corner. Seth pretended to be asleep. He heard Cam come. He heard Cam come in. He knew who he was. Ray talked about Cameron a lot. He had two thick scrapbooks filled to Brussels, to busting with clippings and articles and photos of his races and exploits. He didn't look so tough and important now. Seth decided. The guy looked sick and pale and hollow-eyed. He made up. He'd made up his own mind about what he thought of Cameron Quinn. He liked Ethan well enough, though the man worked your butt raw if you went out oystering or clamming with him. He didn't preach all the time, just deliver a blow or a backhand, even when Seth had made mistakes, and he fit Seth's ten-year-old view of a sailor pretty well. Rugged, tan, thick, curly hair with streaks of blonde in the brown, hard muscles, sulky talk, 
Yeah, Seth liked him well enough. He didn't mind Philip. He was usually all pressed and polished. Seth figured the guy must have six million ties, though he couldn't imagine why a man would want even one. But Philip had some sort of fancy job in a fancy office in Baltimore, advertising, coming up with slick ideas to sell things to people who probably didn't need them anyway. Seth figured it was a pretty cool way to run a con. Now, Cam, he was the one who went for the flash, who lived on the edge and took the risks. No, he didn't look so tough. He didn't look like such a badass. Then Cam turned his head, and his eyes looked locked on to Seth. Held there, I'm blinking in direct until Seth felt a stomach quiver. To escape, he simply closed his eyes, imagining himself back at the house by the water, throwing sticks for the clumsy puppy Ray called Foolish. Knowing the boy was awake and aware of his gaze, Cam continued to study him. Good-looking kid, he decided, with a mop of shady hair, of sandy hair, and a body that was just starting to go gangly. If he drew into his feet, he'd be a tall one before he was finished sprouting. He had a kiss-my-ass chin, Cam observed, and a sulky mouth. The presence of Sleepy managed to look armless as a puppy, and just about as cute. But the eyes, Cam recognized that edge in him, that animal wariness. He'd seen it often enough in the mirror. He hadn't been able to make out the color, but they'd been dark. Blue or brown, he imagined. Shouldn't we park the kids somewhere else? Ethan Glanzo. <laughs> He's fine here. Nobody to leave him with anyhow. On his own, he'd just look for trouble. Cam shrugged, looked away, and forgot him. I want to talk to Garza. They've got to have results or something. He drives like a pro, so if he had a heart attack or a stroke, his voice trailed off. It was simply too much to contemplate. We need to know. Standing around here isn't helping. I need to do something. Ethan said, his voice soft. A sign of a suppressed him. You go on and do it. Being here counts. He stared at his brother across the race unconscious. It's always what's counted. Some of us didn't want to drudge for oysters and spend our lives chucking crab pots. They gave us a life and expected us to do what we wanted with it. So you did what you wanted. We all did, Phil put in. If something was wrong with Dad the last few months, Ethan, you should have told us. How the hell was I supposed to know? But he had known something. He hadn't been able to put his finger on it. He hadn't let it, let it slide. That ate at him now. As he sat listening to the means, he kept his father breathing. Because you were there. Came on. Yeah, I was there. And you weren't. Not for years. And if I stayed on saying crazy, wouldn't have run into a damn telephone pole. Christ! Came back to his That makes sense. If you'd been around, if either of you had, he wouldn't have tried to do so much on his own. If time would turn around, he was up on a damn ladder pushing to get wheelbarrow or paint his boat and he's still teaching three days a week at the college tutoring grain papers he's almost 70 for christ's sake he's only 67 philip felt a hard ice edge chill cloth through him and he's always been healthy as a team of horses now lately he hasn't he's been losing weight and looking tired and worn out you saw for yourself all right all right philip scrubbed his hands over his face Scrap the day's girls on me. So maybe he should have been slowing down a little. Taking on the kid was probably too much, but there wasn't any talking him out of it. Always squabbling. The voice, weak and slurred, caused all three men to jolt to attention. Dad, easily forward first. His heart flooding in his chest. I'll get the doctor. No. Stay. Ray mumbled before Philip could rush out of the room. It was a hideous effort. This coming back. Even for a minute, Ray understood he had moments only. Already his mind and body seemed separate things, though he could feel the presence of hands on his hands, hear the sound of his son's voices, and the fierce anger in them. He was tired. Oh, God, so tired, and he wanted Stella, but before he left, he had one last duty. 
hair. The lid seemed to weigh several pounds apiece, but he forced his eyes open, struggled to focus. His sons, he thought, three wonderful gifts of fate. He'd done his best by them, tried to show them how to become men. Now he needed them for one more. Needed them to stay unit without him and tend to shop. The boy, even the words had weight. It made him wince to push them from mind to lips. The boy's mine. Yours now. Keep the boy. Whatever happens, you say to him. Cam, you'll understand him best. The big hand wants so strong vital. Try desperately to squeeze. Your word on it. We'll take care of him. At that moment, Cam would have promised to drag down the moon and start. We'll take care of him until you're on your feet again. Ethan. Ray sucked in another breath that wheezed through the restaurant. He'll need your patience. Your heart. Your fine watermen because of him. Don't worry about Seth. We'll look after him. Philip. Right here, he'd be close to being We're all right here. Such good brains, you'll figure out how to make it all work. Don't let the boy go. Your brothers, remember your brothers. So proud of you, all of you. Quince, he smiled a little and stopped by. Yep, let me go now. I'm getting the doctor! Panic, Philip rushed out of the room. Well, came and easy. Tried to wheel her father back to consciousness. No one noticed the boy who stayed curled in the corner in the chair. His eyes squeezed tightly shut against hot tears. End of chapter one.